it's your third time on the podcast. No, it's my second time. Oh no, sorry, it's my third time. Yeah, sorry, I forgot. I forgot I had a, uh, and I missed the Christmas special. Yeah, and you missed the Christmas special. Yeah, so but you're here. You're having beers now with us. So, um, what, um, what, what are you drinking? What are you drinking tonight? Uh, new Wicklow Wolf Call of Juicy. Ah, that's a new beer, is it? Yeah, new beer and a glass just for you. Western Herd, lovely, just back the road from me. I'm uh, on. I'm in a Western Herd glass too, the smaller one. Uh, I always prefer the smaller one. What I hate about the craft beer glass you know I get is their pint glasses for four forty cans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks odd in the glass. What? It just you looks like off. It looks a bit off. Yeah. Just unsatisfactory, you know. I'm on a new beer as well, the Kinnegar, the St. Patrick's Day special. Is that not like eight percent? It is eight percent. So we'll see how we go with that. <laughs> starting, starting the day out strong with an eight percent beer at five o'clock to do an interview. It's funny you said the Treaty City. I walked into my local office there yesterday, and they just got Treaty City in, so got two of their new ones. The, ju- the juicy IPA and the pale ale. Yeah, I like them a lot. Um, having beers, were you always? Did you always have an, a, a balance that you could crack open a few beers every now and then during the week? Um. Yeah, I mean, probably less so during the week, but definitely, I mean, I've always, I suppose, coming from a household of runners where kind of having that balance was always a normal part of, you hear the stories of their old days of, you know, sure, they'd always train hard and enjoy themselves and they got things done, so that was what matters. So, I mean, I never, yeah, I never had a kind of an abstinence approach to it. I mean, everything in moderation, I think, you know, you could go slowly insane if you tried and I've kind of learned that I'm not very good at knuckling down and being a monastic life. About once a week you post the one man book club, is it? With you drinking a, drinking a beer and reading a book. Yeah. But, well, yeah. Generally once a week. I mean, I kind of last two years I've done 52 a year. 52 books so, a year. Are you on track this year? You are? I'm four ahead of schedule this year already. The read numbers are, are looking good. What's the best book so far, 2021? Oh, what's the best book so far? I read The Tender Bar, which is one that Connor recommended to me. It's a memoir of kind of his New York Times journalist who went to Yale as well. And I kind of said he had no father figure in his life, but was adopted essentially in a bar on Long Island. Okay. And kind of, you know, lived around the corner from it. His uncle was a bartender and kind of, he just kept going back there throughout times in his life. So, not a good one to read when you're not allowed to go to a pub, but really just like a very good memoir about, yeah, really enjoyed that. On the island or in the island? It's on Long Island. <laughs> it's like a run. What? It's a running joke, isn't it? Is it in the island or on the island? Yeah, well, in Long Island, yeah. Well, <laughs> on an island. Um, does anyone ever, like, are they ever surprised that you have a couple of beers every week? Is anyone like, geez, I thought you'd live like a monk? I don't think so now. I mean, fair, like, I don't have, like, most of my circle of friends are certainly not runners. I mean, I don't have, like, an old runner who I am friends with certainly would be partial to having drinks as well. So there's nobody who really kind of, again, I think, like, yeah, nobody's really surprised by it, nor should they be. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not exactly a huge life decision to have a few drinks every so often. Yeah, so, so you're back to the work and life. I am. I'm back three weeks done now. How is? How have you been reintegrating into society? Uh, well, it's not really re- reintegrating when you're still sitting 
just fair enough to yeah. over the, the uh, kitchen table but now it's going well i mean I, I i certainly like i enjoy having the structure to my day and actually being able to find like i now actually get to enjoy weekends because they make sense as opposed to when you're when i'm full-time so like even though they're like kind of always like there's always a little mental you did feel mentally different at the weekend even mm-hmm. when you weren't working but now it's actually it's nice to have something to look forward to in a week which is just i don't have to go to work today and so if anyone doesn't know you went full-time for the last two years what prompted that decision uh yeah that's well we kind of went full-time from february 2019 to 21 as well then i got time you're both kind of about living in town working full-time in town running racing well like actually had certainly some like like my better results were while working full-time i just mean it's kind of just the unknown that you have to be able to at least say look i tried my hardest if i'd gone through a full running career and run well but never gone full-time there'd always be a nagging maybe i could have been better if i committed to it fully Mm. and like at least now i did it it didn't work well i know i don't like it and but i can say look i tried it and it wasn't for me why didn't you like it was that kind of that absence of routine yeah absence of routine also i mean like i've been off and on injured throughout it and even kind of had somebody at the camp center like like being able to relax enjoy drink and all that when you're supposed to be a full-time athlete i don't like i also like a lot of guilt throughout the entire time of it that i wasn't doing this properly that if you know i do a hard section on tuesday and go down to the local pub and do more and have three points like no this isn't the proper way an athlete should be doing it but it's kind of like it's what i liked and enjoyed and kind of trying to reconcile that in myself that you know i was doing things differently and trying to do it my way but that's not necessarily feeling like you know you're a full-time athlete yeah and so you're you're glad you did it looking back yeah absolutely i mean i certainly enjoyed the last two years and we kind of joke that our covid lockdown was much easier if you had a year of training for it and so what were your biggest takeaways just that that it just didn't suit you or was there any other takeaways from it yeah i, mean, I certainly learned a lot about kind of what what i enjoy in life like kind of you know enjoying sitting reading i mean it's good to take two years just to like essentially reflect on your life take stock on you know probably made me less serious as a runner actually made me realize that running is something i like to do as a distraction outside of work and my normal life it's not something i want to do like i've never wanted like i mean especially as i've go as i've gone through my running career i've wanted to kind of not just be a runner or it's kind of i have a lot of other things even like coming back to work now i'm like oh yeah you know you're the lad who went off to run marathons aren't you and it's like well yeah so that's kind of like what i'm known for despite like you know it's why the book club is at least now when i go to a race like oh you're the one who does the book club aren't you it's like yeah it's also weird that you know me for that instead but it's like very odd thing of trying to define yourself now yeah i suppose just trying yeah trying to differentiate yourself so much thing uh, yeah i just find that fascinating the whole branding side of things that people could be doing so much more yeah well i mean because I, I, I was even i was just thinking to myself right, like my i updated my instagram bio two years ago to say like you know left the office job to become a marathon runner which didn't work but didn't become a marathon runner but now that's still my bio and i have to change it i'm like dreading the thought of like how do i define myself in whatever 20 30 words that you're allowed in the instagram bio <laughs> Oh, I hate Instagram boys. I just given up at this stage. But that's the thing. Like, I have one, and I'm kind of like, should I just delete this because, like, like I don't know what to put in there. And, like, I hate that it's a world that, like, that is a consideration of like how do I define myself in a neat little box in thirty words. 
I just was, how do you define yourself? <laughs> so you, still you still haven't got to the bottom of it? No, no, the bio still hasn't changed. <laughs> no, no, so, so, so again, like the more you go through it, the more you probably realize that it's not something you ever get to the bottom of. Yeah, so have you taken a step back then from running or is there, like, where are you with that now? Uh, I mean, I've taken kind of a enforced step back through, like, I mean, I just kind of kept getting with the physio this morning. And he kind of said, yeah, you've got pinged in three different injuries in the space of two weeks. That's probably a good sign you need a bit of rest. And I think, like, again, I think like, kind of the whole, how I was saying about it, kind of the whole guilt complex. And, like, I thought, like, I kind of found, like, a stressful two years, which in the grand scheme of what people get stressed about seemed very, an odd thing to say, stressed about doing nothing. But there was just almost no off switch during it. Because I always felt I should be training. And if I wasn't training, I should be rehabbing. Or if I wasn't able to run, I should be on the bike. And just, I kind of just felt like now, like it's just wore away at me a little bit. And finally, take like, probably take a month off now. And you know, I'm a big believer in walking, like, has a good form of cross training, just go for a long walk. And I'll probably just like move to that as opposed to biking for the next like four weeks. I've been loving my long walks lately. This lockdown, yeah. I've been walking every day. It's brilliant. Yeah. As, as Jerry, <laughs> Jerry, obviously, coaching me for. A good one because you know walking just walking just a form of slow running. Yeah, you know, easier as well. It's not as strenuous. What? It's easier. It's not as strenuous. Yeah, exactly. Just go for a walk. You down the body. You can pop on a pop pop on a podcast and not feel you know. I don't listen to music when I run pretty much ninety percent of the time. So and do listen to more, engage in more stuff, be in like different areas that you can't run on and not going to get injured anyway. So like ment mentally, are you just taking a taking a break? Do you see yourself getting back to like a like as, as competitive as you were? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I mean, the plan is to like, I suppose like right now again, because it's, it's easier to take a break because other than European indoors and all that, like there's nothing, like there's nothing really going on like in the domestic sense. Like ultimately my plan is still to run the national cross in November and try to qualify for Dublin. Like that's, that is my current goal. So that's in November. So I'm kind of happy to take a bit of stock now and then go for it, like be ready for November, which is, plenty of time to do that you'd wonder like with um unless you are at the european indoors are you better off just taking that approach instead of well like if you're if you're training hammer and tongs now by november are you really going to be are you going to have that same that same drive that same energy in training well that's the thing like i know myself that i can't like i can get about 10 12 weeks done before i just need to stop or the body just tells me to stop mm -hmm. so like i'll probably go through maybe what two two and a half, 12 week cycles before then. And that would be like more than I can normally ever string together. Like before I ran and won the national cross in 2018, like I didn't run a step for all of April and May that year. Mm. So two, two months completely off running, walking, and then like start my build up in June, knowing, okay, we're getting ready for November now. You're clearly not um, paying that much, are you paying much attention to athletics now? I mean, we are recording while the European indoors are currently on television. Like the 800 miles an hour. We have an hour, okay. Hard cut off at six o'clock. Well, Nadia's race is at quarter past. Quarter past six, okay. I mean, like, I, like I'll watch, like, I'll watch, I mean, like, I'm friends with a lot of the people, like, I've been coming through the ranks with them for, like, a long time. Mm -hmm. Watching, I missed the three kids once with the physio, which I think is a legitimate excuse as an athlete. But I still watch it. I still, I still watch the Irish athletes because, you know, they are again like friends, people I know, people who you know you like seeing on on a big stage. Well, 
in terms of watching like international high level athletics not really like with the spikes now I think it's even more I just I can't stand it yeah I mean I, but it's why actually the Europeans are nice now like if everyone's wearing them and it's just a race it's a good race and you get to enjoy that whereas mm. like watching a diamond league now where everyone's just going to run sub 13 in the 5k or something like that or you know it's not the same like you can't really care or get excited about it anymore yeah it's tough Music, I know I've struggled with this the last few days. Your four songs. Four songs, yeah, it's a very, very hard. Uh, I know, I wish I could do like 10, but I mean, it has to be. Can't find enough things to talk about and fit 10 songs in. Yeah. So, yeah, so. what was your first one? Uh, first one I went with was The Modern Leper by Frightened Rabbit. Which, are you, are you a Frightened Rabbit fan? Just, I've listened to a couple of songs. Not a big, I haven't really gotten into them. I know you're a huge fan. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'd be a huge Friday Rabbit fan. Obviously, listen to them a lot going through college. Obviously, Scott Hutchinson had his own mental health issues and ultimately killed himself in 2017, must have been. Maybe maybe early 2018, actually. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean he'd been so huge and he kind of was like, he talks about a lot himself in interviews while he's still alive of how he exposed so much of himself in his music that then like allowed people to heal their own mental health through it. And I got very like the issue of being an artist and being open about these things and how people almost like pick at you and your openness and then kind of what you leave for yourself. But and this has always been like a brilliant song about that. walks amongst you all you tired human beings He's got all the things a cripple has not to working arms and legs And vital parts fall from his system and dissolve in Scottish rain Vitally he doesn't miss him he's too fucked up to Was I you in front of me Coming back for even more Exactly the same well, You must be a masochist Love a modern leopard On his last leg On his last leg Julian Baker covered that. She's new album out. It's brilliant. Little Oblivions. Yeah, I, I actually very controversially thought about including her version because I do think it is. Okay, I, I haven't listened to it. I just saw she covered it. Yeah, her, her, her version is like it's much slower, acoustic, very raw. But like, I think I think I have to put in the original because I couldn't. Yeah, if you know the original, you can then appreciate the other one more. But I think for... I couldn't not put in some Frightened Rabbit. And as we discussed earlier, no Mick. Mick hasn't been included in the list. No Mick, no. It's unfortunate, but as you said, you didn't include him either, so I feel better about that. Um, I'd say 
if there's any other MIG diehards out there, get in touch because I think we're the only two of the athletics community. Yeah, well, there could be more. They're lurking everywhere. They're lurking everywhere. Actually, when I, when I shared, um, cause I shared the video he did with, wasn't Baby Talk, it'll be, I'll be out here. And Michelle Finn got in touch and said she's a big mix fan. So there might be one there. There you go. Cork, Cork fellow Corkman. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so growing up in a running family, um, obviously natural path was to get involved in running. Did you ever like have a rebellious nature and resist it and say, no, I don't want to be a runner? Um, yeah, so I think to like a certain extent just because I wasn't very good at it. Okay. Like by the time I was 10, I used to joke that I was the only one in the house, me and the cat were the only ones who did international vests. Connor made his first one at 14. So, and like at that point, like I was like either front row forward and rugby. Like I was not a runner at all. Like I'd be like dragged out on runs and okay, my Connor and dad would go out and then me and my mum would go out. Like it was, it wasn't good. Like I'm sure everyone would say like, he's just never going to be a runner. Like, and that's fine. And then I thought I was just lucky that there was, like, there was no pressure put on me but when I got to school. Jim Finnegan, who is the cross country coach in my school, just kind of just encouraged us all. Just go, we just go from like a mile a day, just around the block around the school, and just do that. And just like I think I came like outside the top ten in like the first year cross country trial in our school. Like we had like all the first years had to run a race, just kind of get the introduction to like this is cross country, and I was like outside the top ten in that. Okay. But like just he just kind of encouraged me and kind of said look just keep going back and i did enjoy it like i enjoyed just being able to run as you know we all enjoy just being able to run like it is a nice thing without a competitive element at that point and then i would be a competitive person like i played rugby football all throughout well up until i was 15 with football i quit a bit earlier but i just enjoyed running and then like actually started to get better like by the end of first year i was you know i think a second east leinster 1100 as it was then they actually kind of showed some potential quickly enough in first year with SR training and then second year got better and then by fourth year just kind of decided yeah I'm going to give up all our sport and just focus on this so it did kind of come naturally and like I think my mum's early decision was I'm certainly not going to be coached by my dad which just made sense as a yeah, yeah, yeah. like just sent me like I was coached like Mr. Finney and I like, did a few sessions with my dad and then went out to Rahini and coached by Dick Cooper there so it was always so it was nice to not have that pressure from the family coming in always. But then it certainly there was certainly like an internal pressure created too. But was it a bit of a surprise when when it kind of hit you like, oh, I could be good at this as well? But I didn't think I could be. Um I mean I suppose like the fact that Connor was also very good, like it just it just seemed very natural that I would be good because I mean it was it's in the genes runs in the family, as was the great pun of the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But was it like looking at Connor and being like, okay, he did this in in Leavenstone, I want to beat that then? Yeah, there was certainly like an element of wanting, of being competitive within the family and like kind of wanting to, again, because I was, when Connor was becoming good, I wasn't at all. I wasn't considered a runner at all. And that led to kind of like, it was always a joke, but like, oh, sure, Kev will never be the runner. And that then would lead to a sort of spitefulness in me of, if you say I can't, then I'm just going to try and do it. And, <laughs> It worked out, thankfully. And at what stage did you see yourself being like a, like one of the top distance runners in the country or the potential to be? Um, I mean, as well, like when I was in like, even like second year in school, I came fourth 
I was always like a much, much better cross country runner. Like still would consider myself that too. Like I've always preferred cross country. Like I was fourth in the All Ireland schools when I was in second year, which was a complete mud bath. I think I got lucky that just, it sort of removed the speed equation from just made it about kind of toughness and just gritting it out. And that was kind of what I was good at then. And now like when you're fourth in the All Ireland schools, then you're kind of like, okay, yeah, there's definitely like, you have to be good to do that. And then, when I started working with Dick in fourth year, certainly he led me to believe like, yeah, like I was just getting more and more competitive at national cross country every year. And then like up till fifth year, then going into the national cross country young twenties up in Derry with the snow. And Dick was like, you can make the team for the European cross here. And this one, like Liam Braves running very well. Sean Tobin's ran kind of in my age category. And I ended up coming sixth that day and just like literally beat the other guy like falling over the line for six and seven so made a team by that much I think that was a big help in making that first European cross team as a dark horse of like okay yeah no, I can certainly do this and get exposed to it from an early age as well yeah and then Connor obviously paved the way over at Yale um did yeah. you have did you have other options or were you kind of set on Yale uh no I mean I was pretty much set on Yale like there's any other like other people got in touch but I was kind of like I didn't really engage with them. I was kind of like only ever engaged with Yale and going there. Like, again, I was in a lucky position where because Connor had gotten in with his, obviously the academic side, it's a big thing of getting in. And like, because I could compare myself to him, I kind of knew it was certainly possible. Mm-hmm. Once I did the SATs and got all that right. So it was like, almost took for granted that I would just get in, which is obviously not something you ever should just take for granted. But it's like, it's kind of, again, like because Connor can do it, I can do it. Okay. And it, it just seemed like, I mean, he had such a great time there and I went over and visited both officially as a recruit and then also just visiting him as a family. And it's like, yeah, always enjoyed my time visiting. He had such great time, great stories. And it's like, just seemed absolutely what I was going to do. And looking back in them four years, how was it as an experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, I absolutely loved it. Like I, which <laughs> it's, it's funny like saying that now because obviously like my like the mental health issues I had certainly started when I was over there and like certainly hit their bottom when I was over there mm. but ultimately I will still say like I loved my four years there which is still something I'm trying to reconcile in my head how that can be true to myself yeah fair yeah but it is and like I certainly have absolutely no regrets about going there like I met some great people great friends like ran very well certainly developed had an athlete and became better over there than I was leaving, which is kind of, you know, why you want to go to America. And then and from like an education point of view, like what you're exposed to mm. in terms of of lecturers, people in class with, it was just, I mean, it's a testing environment, but you just, you get to just expose to some just good things in that way. So Yale is obviously Ivy League. So for anyone who doesn't know, like what's the difference between going to a, a regular NCAA college to an, a, an Ivy League college? I mean, I thought like the biggest difference is, well, there's no scholarships in the Ivy League. So essentially you get recruited, which helps you get in through the admissions process. And then all the financial side is worked out through sort of means tested financial aid. Mm-hmm. And then like, there is like, you hear from other colleges that like, they are doing remote learning, essentially like, you know, all the cross country team live at altitude and then kind of half attend class. So like, we certainly like, there's no slack cut to us from being an athlete like we had to we had practice every day at three o'clock 
but so you did your class in the morning and like we just couldn't take classes that were in the block in the afternoon yeah and like yeah. i mean like getting in trouble with professors like you know during cross country season we would race on a friday and if we if you had class on a friday like i had to miss them because obviously you could get an excuse but like a professor and they look this is going to hurt your grade here i'm like I, I can't do anything about them are they on the team and it's kind of like like you certainly are not given much slack for it yeah, but, so, which so, again yeah, you, exactly. you're, you're treated like a more normal person which is nice you know you're kind of you get to be a student and an athlete and that's a very nice healthy benefit i think to have yeah when i saw but i saw it off but i saw, saw it after college like that um they're not going to cut much slack to the cross-country team no no there might be a bit more to football and lacrosse and ice hockey and all that but now we are uh well i mean you just have to get on to it like it was just that was the way it was and the way it always has been so do you miss the east coast of america yeah i do i mean like i again like new haven's a great city so like i kind of have always had like an attraction to like i don't know like grittier cities and yeah, bars yeah. like new haven's like a gritty city and they're a lot of like dive bars like good cheap but like not polished places like dublin is now is the pizza in New Haven as good as they say? Yeah. Yeah, there is. And even, even like, there, yeah, there's, like, Pepe's inside, like, all the Regal pizzas. Like, we had one, which is, I've been told, subsequently is shut down called Wall Street Pizza, where they used to do... No, you would not have heard of it. <laughs> but they used to do a happy hour every Saturday from, I think it was, like, four to six, where it's, like, half-price pitchers and half-price pizza. So we just go there and, like, set up on a Saturday afternoon pretty much every Saturday. And just like it was a very very good time. Oh yeah, it's it's apparently the pizza yeah. capital of the world. Pepe's, Modern, yeah. Sally's is other one. The other one. Yeah, yeah, those are yeah, they'll be like the three of, three of the big ones. So transitioning back to Dublin, then how how did how did you find that? I suppose like it, it kind of like I got lucky in that. So my after I graduated, I got an internship with an aircraft leasing company based in America in Stanford, Connecticut, who had an office in Dublin. So essentially I did my, did four weeks in America and then continued my internship in Dublin. So I came back into a job and then I got a home with my parents for two months, then moved in. Connor had, was living in an apartment in town. So I moved in with him then because he needed a roommate. So it worked out very neatly in that regard. And then I was able to get a job in another company after the internship ended and so kind of I was always able to just like get a job and then I'd applied for the civil service in the back which took nine months to actually like get through that entire process so like and that's kind of like I knew I wanted to be in civil service it's a very it's a very nice place to work in terms of because you're on flexi time and you have like the flexibility to balance running and working which is something I knew was very important to me so like they got kind of my end goal and like thankfully you know was able to make it happen for myself and working civil service where I've enjoyed it. Was it a thing that it, were you lucky or did you have this all planned out? Because I know Sean Tobin, he said like he really struggled transitioning back. There was no master plan. It was all like Connor again. I was always lucky that he had set a path that made it kind of clear to follow through both, you know, leaving search, college, home, working, and like got a job through him in the company as well. So like that certainly did help my position and also I mean like I think I was kind of just honest with myself as well that knew I had to work. Mm-hmm. Like if I was wanting to come home and try, you know, try train full time here, like it's, that's, it's not really a thing you can do straight off the bat in college. Like I needed to work to save the money to eventually be able to do it. But like, again, just seeing Connor, like Connor ran the European cross 
in 2014 while working in finance in Dublin. So I certainly knew like, okay, it's possible like with the training group out in UCD, like it can all be managed if you just do it well. And again, like the benefit of like being Dublin-based versus being, I know in Sean Case in Clonmel, like there was just more options here. My family home's obviously in Dublin. So if I was working and commuting, like yeah, it, yeah. I just had, I, I was lucky enough to have options available there. Yeah. It seems like with all your choices that Connor had laid the path. Does Connor ever turn around and be like, fuck you, like just fucking following my path and <laughs> taking all the advantages from it? <laughs> um, well, I mean, like, like I certainly, yeah, I certainly benefited a lot from it. But I mean, ultimately, like, yeah, yeah, okay. What, what, what else would I have done? You know, <laughs> yeah, sort of like, opportunity. As we had Connor and I have our full debrief after these two years, uh, you know, we'll air the dirty laundry then and you can moderate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully physically in a pub somewhere. Um, track, yeah. track, track two. Track two. Uh, which one did I go? I picked what? Bird of Sorrow for track two, didn't I? Um, Bird of Sorrow, Glenn Hansard. Yeah. Uh, so I was like a huge frame fan. Obviously, then Glenn Hansard, I mean, he somehow managed to make it twice into the uh, into the list in his various <laughs> incarnations. Uh, so I mean, this this is like a big song for me when I was in America going through things. It said, you know, like "Bird of Sorrow," um, you know, well, the prostrate bay of not leaving. You know, it said, you know, I'm not leaving. It's kind of like the main mantra of the song. You know, like you know, you're bent down, you're not broken you will come back, not leaving, not going anywhere. And like, as I was going through the depth of things, that was kind of a, a message I liked and really enjoyed. And yeah, so it was a big song for that. And just, Glenn's just a spectacular musician, writer, everything, so. Even if a day feels too long You feel like you can wait another one slowly giving up on everything love is gonna find you again love is gonna find you you better be ready then You've been kneeling in the dark for far too long. You've been waiting for that spark, but it hasn't come. I'm calling to you, please get off the floor. A good heart will find you again. Good heart will find you, just be ready then. Tethered to a bird of sorrow, a voice that's buried in the hollow. You've given over to self-deceiving, you prostrate bowed but not believing. You've squandered more than you could borrow, you've bet your joy on all tomorrow. For the hope of some returning While everything around is burning Yeah, I can imagine you took a lot of solace from that Yeah, like things like, you know, 
just be ready. Like, love's going to find you again. Just be ready then. You know, but I, I was also like, as a girl from mine at the time said, I got a big, big tendency to like songs that have like a very slow start and like build to a big ending, which I don't know what that like. A crescendo. Yeah. And that's it. And like a lot of like blend songs are like that, like that bird of song kind of starts very slow and just builds and builds. So you've got this big. Almost coming to an, coming to an awakening almost. Yeah. Um. I've listened to two of your other podcasts that you've done and it's almost like the interviewer is skirting the whole thing of mental health and they're almost which, like afraid it's almost like afraid to ask the question which is which, like which one which, which two do you listen to i listened to the running beans one and the jump in the gun one i was the jumping gun was entirely about mental health was it not it was but like he was at, he was asking like he was it was it was clear they were they were saying oh from your recent article and they were like getting into asking the question and they were kind of like, oh, I know it's a bit dark. I don't want to ask it. And it was just ask the question. But do you find that, that almost makes it like a taboo in itself that people almost like are afraid to ask the question? Which question is this then? The question like, like people struggle with mental health, like everyone struggles with mental health to some degree, but obviously you had your struggles. And like, yeah. he, but he, like he was almost like afraid to ask you about it or like was kind of hesitant about it. Does that make it like yeah, almost exactly. taboo in a way in itself? Yeah, I mean, I suppose because you're always again you're always struggling when, when somebody because i wrote a blog post about this in 2018 18. yeah early 2018 when i was injured after the world half and yeah there there is I mean, you never know especially when you're talking to somebody obviously writing about it is different where you can actually compose and polish it versus then talking about it i mean i, I don't i don't jump and go and handle it well that they you know again they've all had various you know, they've had various difficulties themselves in the past, members of them, and, you know, worry of talking about kind of, again, just four of us sitting in a bedroom, mm-hmm. chatting about it kind of in a nice way. But yeah, it is, and something kind of I struggle against, like, again, the labeling and the branding, like, obviously everyone does have, like, mental health is like physical health. Everyone has it. Yeah. And, you know, you can be physically unfit and mentally, well, not unfit is a bad term, but you can go through periods where your mental fitness is not quite what it should be to get you through the rigors of life or anything like that but yeah i mean it, it, it is a very delicate subject that so like i'm always going to talk about it some people aren't some people don't quite know how to address it and that's because it is again we're not we're not equipped in this country or anywhere really it's getting better but like we don't have the terminology the phrase book and like even i read you read shane carty's book no but he's dublin footballer who i saw you shared it i saw i saw it advertising things yeah yeah, but but he went through very bad mental health issues, was hospitalized for it. But then he comes out with a very new language about it. And it's almost just like our kind of constant desire to understand these things and be able to pre- provide words around them that allow us to rationalize it. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I find it has a high, just like, it is just an irrational thing often. Like you had to kind of, again, like back to the guilt complex earlier of like, yeah, I was, I was an all-American runner at Yale when my mental health started getting at its worst. And you're kind of wondering, like, and why, you know, you have the initial panic of how can I feel this way? Like, what, and they're and also like, what right do I have to feel this way? Yeah, like, yeah, guilt, yeah, I get where you come from. Yeah, and, and that was like, again, that was like the big issue for me in understanding it at first. And that's kind of like the first wave of counselling I went through was just actually trying to, rationalize and understand like this is what's going on and it's like actually very normal and happens to a lot of people and it's nothing to do with often your circumstances 
it's just you just need to be again provided with the toolkit to understand you know what it is you're going through because like for the first part there was just kind of a panic of what what's going on here like what i can't like why do i feel like this i have no right to feel like this i have no reason to feel like this but i but i know i do yeah and you just read it you there's like a panic of like how how can i feel this down every day and that's where like counseling was certainly very important for me just to piece together kind of the undertones of where it had come from and then kind of be able to like and so like now like i'd say like i certainly am still prone to having difficult mental health times but i think the main thing i understand now is i just understand them and can accept them and like if it happens i know okay this is just happening again and which might not a great way to live of just like accepting if you want to feel shit for a few days but you almost just like at least now i have enough confidence having gone through the bad part yeah yeah that's again like one of the other words that gets used like your mental health toolkit but it, but it is but it is but it, but it is what you have to learn it's like you just know now about yourself and because i know this is something i am prone to or susceptible to that i can just handle it accordingly yeah i know like there's this sense of guilt that comes up but i think something i've been thinking about like as you go up or in terms of success like everything just becomes normalized like every rung of the ladder you go up everything just becomes normalized and you're still as prone as you were at the bottom rung as you are at the top rung like you're Yale, you're an Ivy League student, you're a top runner, but you still feel the same as you were if you were just none of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like again, like the normalization of it was, and that was almost where I started seeing it creeping in, has like, I was running this well, and I was like, well, I'm not enjoying this. Like, I'm not feeling what I should be feeling here. Like, when I used to win races when I was 16, 17, you're like, this was the best thing ever. You'd be on a high for two or three days. And just like that high just got gradually diminished, diminished, diminished to the point of like, it became almost so routine, but like it should never have been routine. Like it should never have been like, I should have been able to enjoy this. You really able to like appreciate what was going on with me. But it's like, I kind of felt like, no, I'm not enjoying this anymore. And like, when it goes bad, it gets really bad now. And I just certainly didn't feel like, I kind of think like, you know, kind of, if you operate like a one to 10 spectrum of emotions, they're like 10, you're ecstatic, zero, you're, in the bike, I just felt that top end just coming down and down all the time. That like, you know, the high days were now getting to, you know, sixes and the zero days were becoming much more frequent. And that was just then like, no, this shouldn't be normal. So so what is the difference between just feeling bad, like feeling blue, like a lot of people do to, okay, this is something like much more serious than that. I would say, I mean, like I've, I've read the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual which is like the mental health guidelines set out by Ameri- by the American, whatever they are. Mm. And mostly it's to do with duration. So like, I would kind of say, like, you know, you can have a bad day, but if you start having bad weeks or if you start having, you know, four bad days in a week. Is it called anethema or something? Yeah, I can't remember exactly what. It's like it was just, more like, for, yeah. for, for me, it was more the worsening intensity of the bad days, like that they would go from like, I feel a bit down to, I now come home from class, pray nobody's in the house so I can lie down on the sofa and like blast Mick Flannery in the house, in the dark room. And people come and find me like that. It's like, okay, this is probably not great, but. And it was more like just the intensity and then like the fact that it was going on for, so I was probably, you know, looking back now, probably dealing with it for like two years before 
I actually did anything about it. There's probably two years of just a gradual descent into this happening. And then I was like, okay, now, like after two years, I can't keep doing this. So like at the lowest point, what was, what did the average day look like? I think, and, and again, like this is like, you know, you always talk about the mask you wear. Mm. And like, I developed a very good mask. Like every day I was still able to get up. I still go to class. I still go to practice. I still run. But more and more, I just needed to remove myself in certain situations. Like at practice, there'd be like a group of four of us who were very good friends and we just go off and run on our own. Like I just didn't want to run with the rest of the team. And, you know, just couldn't handle it. Like I would just sit, often just like sit on my own at practice, do my own thing. And again, like because I was the best runner on the team, I don't get away with it. Yeah. It was also, you know, oh, he's over there, you know, he's just very serious. He's better than we are. He can just do what he wants. But it was almost just like a hiding mechanism of like, no, I like, I'm doing my strides on my own right now because I just like, I'm just going through the motions and I want to be on my own. Yeah. And then like, I'd find like days where you still love Wednesdays because we didn't have practice on Wednesday. And like, I just go home. I would just lie on the couch for like two hours listening to music in the dark. Has it got, has it got dark? And I barely just be able to like keep it together at those points. And like, obviously that you've come, you've come to have more better understanding of it. Like what were the triggers now looking back? I think a lot of it was, you know, I was fueled, we talked about kind of earlier on, kind of like despite that fueled me to run. Mm. And that fueled me. And then I got to a certain point where like, I almost had to exercise that. So like I'd gone through I got an to a point where I couldn't enough. An external motivation all the time. Yeah, and it was never, we're talking about kind of intrinsic motivation. I was always motivated to kind of like prove myself. Mm. I thought that once I did that eureka, I'd be happy and it'll all be fine. And then I got to that pinnacle and I was like, no, like I've like kind of created bad relationships for myself with friends and everything because I've just been so driven onto this. I've suppressed probably a lot of what I should have been dealing with earlier in my life. And then I kind of thought that running would be the answer. And then when I got to the point where I was good, it wasn't the answer. And then I was sort of like, shit, if this isn't the answer, what is? Yeah. But is there an identity crisis then? Like, as we talked about at the start, like figuring out like, okay, who the fuck am I? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I've been like the runner and then how can you be the runner, but also not enjoy like your success that you're having in it? Mm. Like people are going to get annoyed at you if you turn around and say, I actually don't enjoy stuff. Or not, not, it's, not, it's never that I didn't enjoy it. Like I always, like, it was almost kind of the one non-negotiable I had when I was talking to my therapist. Like, I'm not giving up running. Like, that's not happening. Yeah. I'm going to, because like, I know, because I knew from when I was younger that I can enjoy running. I can feel a great fulfillment from it. And then, yeah, it just became trying to work out exactly how I could reorientate the rest of my life to enjoy running has a very key element of who I am because I'm a very competitive person I enjoy running I enjoy like competing is my favorite like racing is my favorite thing to do yeah yeah so I'm trying to work that all out I have a quote here um a study in 2016 found track and field athletes have the highest rate of depression among U.S. collegiate sports with 37% of women and 25% of men reporting depressive symptoms so do you think like people that are prone to depression end up running or is it born out of running and competing um, I think, I mean, it's certainly a case of both. I mean, I think like running tends to lead itself to, I mean, if you think about like your stereotypical long distance runner is probably more introverted, probably more likely to not exactly discuss their, like discuss, talk openly about things, probably more likely to bury things. Again, like it is like not that like 
would ever be some I kind of trying to phrase it probably like of a self-harm point of view of like running is just constantly hurting yourself to get better. Yeah. Like yeah. constantly training is just hurting yourself so that you recover stronger and get better, which a lot of people can find very cathartic benefit in. And whether that is why they are more prone to depression or I mean again, I like also because I've done in my master's done a lot of research on mental health in endurance athletes and a lot of it comes down to like endurance athletes are at the top of the pyramid in terms of likelihood of developing mental health issues more so in team sports more so than anything else angle off again you know it's a brutal sport you're on your own you're doing the same thing all the time quite like to get injured because of it there's no like money or glamour in it that can kind of like offset the negatives of the environment for the vast, vast majority of people. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, unfortunately, when you add up all the factors of it. Is it, is it a big thing or just attaching yourself or to the time and your results and performance? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, I mean, there is almost like, and again, the better you get, the more you attach your identity and your self-worth to the clock. And it's not like, like if you have a bad race, you lose. If you play badly in a football match, you might still win. Mm-hmm. Or the team might carry you through or something might happen and it might not. And it's also not entirely about you. You could play a brilliant match in football and your team let you down and you lose, but you can still say, look, I did my best. Whereas in running, if you run badly, it is on you. And when you run well, it's on you too. But that that is a trade-off you have to take. Like It's the most brutally simplistic sport in that regard. That's not even like in a bike race, if you puncture... Uh, mechanical something as well like it is you at the end of the day against yourself for the most part so you get to claim all the credit but also when you identify heavily as an athlete you do have to take the downside of yeah this is like i didn't perform well today so what what mechanisms have you in place now to kind of keep yourself keep yourself in check keep on top of it i think just like being more honest with myself and this is something again i kind of learned why being a full-time athlete wasn't very good for me. Like if I, when I was working, if I had like a bad day at work, I was exhausted, I would just take a day off. Like I just wouldn't run for a day, maybe two. Mm. Whereas when you're a full-time athlete, you can't, like I didn't feel I could do that. So again, just feeds into that guilt. So I just kind of mean like mostly just about looking after yourself. And that's almost like where the one-man book club actually stemmed out of. Yeah. Like, as I, I really, like one thing I enjoy is just like being able to go to somewhere quiet, have a drink and read my book and yeah. not have to run it. Like I just like, like there's a place I used to go to in Dublin called Probe, which is no longer there. Like that was like my favorite place to go. Like that was like always like my mental health routine. Like if I just get through the day, if I go somewhere at lunchtime, I can just go there tonight. And I mean, people would worry about like self-medicating and all that with alcohol. But I just found like it was that contemplative space where even if I only read 10 pages, but just sat in this environment and could think and just be with myself and enjoy it. Like that's the one where like the book club became justification for drinking on myself on my own. Simple pleasures. Yeah, exactly. It made it, made it more socially acceptable. It's not just me drinking alone. I'm doing it for an artistic purpose. But uh, there's a good quote, that article, in your in your fast running article, you referenced another article from the father of a teammate of yours that um, committed suicide. And it says, it was based on the whole Prefontaine quote of, um, what's the what's the original quote? 
Vanking asking your best and sacrifice the gift. Yeah, and he's he's taking it as strive to be your best, but accept yourself for who you are. I think that's a much better approach. Yeah, I mean like that. I mean, like of the hail died just after I came back, so it was October 2016. So he'd been on team with me for two or three years. And like that, obviously, it was actually like, like almost like a between him and then when Grant or Scott Hutchinson died, I was like, no, like, I can see, like, almost see the garden path that I'm going down here if I don't fully, like, actually then, like, come out and be open about this to myself and everyone around me and say, like, no, look, like, I need to address this and make people aware of it in myself because if I don't, it can go, it can go, you know, the ultimate end. Yeah, that was a great article. Um, and then yeah. you did your thesis on... Men, you did a master's while you were in Waterford. You did a thesis on mental health training amongst coaches. Was that it? Yeah, so it was all about mental health literacy of Irish endurance coaches. What were your What were your findings? Um, that we have a lot of good, passionate coaches in the country who have received almost zero education in mental health literacy. Like a lot of coaches have had athletes come to them and like seeking help, saying, "Look, you know, between." depression, previous anxiety, eating disorders, like a whole plethora of them. And essentially it's like, from a life hour point of view, like they're all the coaching education platforms just do not address this. And yeah. all the educa- all the documents you read about it says like, if you are a coach, you will be dealing with athletes who have mental health issues. And just trying to then put in place education. All the coaches said, look, yeah, we'd love, I mean, these are volunteer coaches yeah, who would love to have these programs in place where like just just to know, they say so it's not taboo. So you can actually ask the open question, and if somebody answers you in a certain way, you know, okay, here's how to help this. Not be a counselor, not but you're like, here is a counselor, here is a sports psychologist, here is somebody to talk to, and not just like a list of phone numbers. But she's like, I'll book an appointment with that person for you if you don't like if you're okay with that. Like actually, just have that ability to like provide care for an athlete who's struggling because coaches want it. coaches want to be able to provide care um is there any anything coming on the horizon in that regard uh no to be honest i need to push it now for i got my results two weeks ago so i need to kind of now i said i've got my diploma so i still need to push it out and kind of work out what the right way to uh to deal with it is but i mean it's, it's not a battle i feel it's my i mean it's something i care about but whether it's a battle that I want to fly the flag of in terms of my own emotional energy and willingness to do so is sort of a, yeah. Uh, if any, if any, if any coaches are listening, get in touch with Kevin Dooney and figure something out. And lead a crusade. Yeah. Your, your third track. Uh, my third track is again from Glenn Hansard. You're the first person to have the artist twice. It's it's technically not Glenn Hansard. It's the swells. It's the swell season, which is Glenn Hansard and Martina Oglava. Oglava. Uh, well, yeah. What I mean. So yeah. So it's two different uh, artists. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. So this this well, and so originally, and so originally a frame song as well. Okay. Which yeah. Is, fair. Of course, also Glenn Hansard. Uh, so this is a song called "What Happened When the Heart Just Stops." And I'm not. I'm going to leave Liam play the song from four minutes fifty five seconds in, where Glenn essentially sums up what the song is about, and then just play it because he does a far better job than I ever could. I was going to leave the preamble in at the start and play the whole story, the full story. 
Ah, yeah, sure. People like if people don't like it, then tough. Yeah, if you if you if I played a full story, that's up to you. I was gonna say because there used to be. This I, have album. Ar- I have fun artistic control here, Kevin. True, you do because this because like, this album originally came out. This is the Dulux edition of the album, and I can't find the original. Okay. But on the original version, the song started. If you go to 450, open up song and then go to 455. <laughs> I'm taking over artistic control. So this is a song called What Happens When the Heart Just Stops. And it's a song about being in a shit place where you're not feeling anything. And I'd much rather be in panic and anxiety than to be there. If anyone could recommend a good psychiatrist, uh, you just leave the number. <laughs> so what happens when the heart just stops? Stops caring for anyone. The hollow in your chest dries up and you stop believing. So what happens when the heart gives up? But the body goes on living. The blood crawls to a slow and stops and goes away. Well, we've got no one to meet, no love we would beseech. We only have ourselves to blame for everything. Well, there was no answer in the dust, and I'm missing you so much. But now you're sleeping, and I'm leaving, yeah. Empty hand and waiting. Time it will subside and we'll agree It was a given, yeah Well, there was no standard we could set In the world it does regret to have to leave you in this state of bereavement You see, I'm feeling everything Nothing gets by Well, there is this hollow in my chest And this time I won't forget There is no comfort in the eyes That put us always to the test I can't prepare myself for that But I'll work it out in time There is a love that flows between us Ever changing every day I worked myself up to a crawl Well, I'm not fearing it at all We had no reason left to stay And that's why we're leaving, yeah Well, there was no answer in the dust And the one out there to trust There is this light that drags us beating Boiling into this Disappointment, oh, and disappointment.
But um, uh, yeah, because he basically talks about like the um, anxieties and all the shit you go through, but it's better than feeling nothing at all, which is, um, yeah, it hit me today because I mean, especially with COVID, I mean, everyone's anxious about the future and having a bit of an existential crisis. And he's saying, well, it's better, it's better than feeling nothing at all. And I guess he's right. Well, yeah, and I suppose that's kind of the path that I almost numbed myself to over time. It's like kind of this dangerous apathy. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, again, it's why the song resonates. Because he was lot. saying you, you kind of want to feel nothing. You kind of want to feel carefree, but be careful what you wish for. Yeah, and, and I mean, unfortunately, kind of like almost where I reached in my running that, you know, I just wasn't enjoying it. Like I was kind of going to point like, I'm operating such a narrow emotional bandwidth now of either low or very low, but also not even feeling anything in it, just kind of just feeling like just, just purely coasting and going through the motions and how like utterly detrimental that can be to yourself long term. Where is your bandwidth at now? It's, I mean, with COVID, it's hard because I kind of things I learned that I do enjoy, like going to football matches and being allowed to go to a pub and drink uh, are, are all gone. Things that can shift the bandwidth up a little bit. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, still, I mean, like, I think, as I say with everyone now, it's probably at a lower ebb, but I've learned more so what I can do to pull it up to the higher ebb and the, not higher ebb, higher peaks in certain times. But I mean, yeah, you're always chasing the answers to uh, to pull it up again. Um, I've left this last section very vague. Future plans. Future plan. You tell me. <laughs> I can't figure that out for myself, so I won't attempt to think about your future plans yeah so like i mean again it's like right now it's so different i'm back in i'm back in the working world which i'm glad to be i enjoy like working with good people working good area which working climate governance now which is obviously an exciting area it's an important area to be involved in hopefully get right or play a very very small part in trying to get right so if an am and ryan am and ryan taking on the world yeah well my minister my man (laughs) Hopefully, so hopefully the employers aren't listening. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's good to feel you're at least in an area that is somewhat for the benefit of society. You know, doing something good. I enjoy, like I enjoy, I enjoy working. I enjoy like having that structure and routine and being able to quite literally clock off and say, "Ah, oh, day done." That feels nice. And yeah, like obviously I'm still living in sunny cities down in Dunmore which has been kind of the home for the last two years, which again, I really like. It's a beautiful place. You get the good and the bad down there of weather in terms of if it's Mm. sunny, it's warm. If it's windy, it is windy and wet and everything else. But I don't like ultimately like I still, I still still running podcast and I still want to run. I still like definitely have that hunger in me, whether my body can physically take that will be a, a, Another question to work out when so I'm 27. Could I run for another eight years? Like it's not certainly not impossible to be moving up the distances, running for another eight years, and like that's if not beyond, and that's a long time. Like I'm not panicked right now. Mm. That I believe I can have better days ahead of me than I've had in the past. So hopefully Dublin 2021, and then any crack at a marathon after that. Yeah, I mean the plan is uh, the plan has been for a long time to crack a marathon, and I've never quite managed to uh, to get the body in a position to do so. Yes, I mean like, what do we have? We got Paris twenty twenty four, LA twenty twenty eight. So in eight years time, what's Dad's record? 
Uh, 2.13.25. That's, that's not easy going. No, when you got shoes, I'll give you four minutes, it might be. Yeah, well, whatever you run, he could just hold that over you forever. So. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I always have to buy an old pair of shoes and do it. Yeah, I, I can break it into super shoes and then have to buy another pair to actually do it because otherwise, uh, no, like, yeah, yeah, the plan is still to run a marathon. Like, I still want to run in an Olympic marathon. Like, that was, that's always been my career ambition from, you know, 16. So, you'll be happy then. Once you reach there, you'll be happy. Well, that's what they always say. They always say, once you make the Olympics, you're guaranteed happiness. I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. But yeah, I mean, that's, has, I mean, obviously Jerry was my coach for two or three years. And we kind of joked that he obviously ran his Olympic marathon in LA and the Olympic marathon 2028 is in LA. So we kind of pick that as a nice point to end my career, you know? The serendipity of me finishing up with a marathon in LA. That'd be fitting. Didn't, didn't think it would be quite so... Uh, poignant but that'll be fitting um, go to get there any any gigs in place will we ever see bright eyes in person i wonder i think we still have tickets <laughs> my, they haven't I, my tickets are in my drawer i haven't i haven't had a rescheduled email yet when are they supposed to be on again Sep- september yeah um ah, we'll get back to gigs get back to football matches get yeah. back to enjoying things like that and yeah get back to one well winning races still a plan hasn't changed that much really for the last 10 years good stuff um sure we'll finish on your outro track a very optimistic note to leave on yeah well i figured the interview might have uh, <laughs> wasn't always the uh, cheeriest interview but it's it funny I, I have been listening to this song actually quite a bit recently yeah i mean it's just like this is just like um yeah, I suppose we have, you know, and it's kind of what running's all about. You're chasing this dream, this high and kind of even in life. I think this is just a beautiful song to capture that, which is, you know, it means it's about day drinking, which I also... <laughs> what would, we're doing know, right now. Which is, ah, it's, well, it's getting dark here now. But we'd also just enjoy, just again, just enjoy, enjoy the simple pleasure, but, you know, one day a year if you just have one good day a year it'll see us through and the whole thing about running and everything you know all it takes is one race and you're suddenly believe it's all gonna be right again it's all gonna be good again yeah so it's one day like this by elbow Oh,
Who's home? 